Today on Awaken to Grace, we are going to talk about unhurried families. We're going to see Satan's agenda for your family, but then we're going to see God's plan for your family as well. If you are enjoying this series called The Unhurried Life, then I want to encourage you to check out my book entitled Calling on the Name of the Lord. Friends, we've been learning how to abide. We've been learning how to rest. We've been learning how to care for our families. And you know what accompanies that? Growing in our prayer life. Calling on the Name of the Lord is all about prayer. Order it today from awakenedtograce.com or from Amazon. Let's go to God's Word together on this broadcast of Awaken to Grace. So I want to take you through Deuteronomy chapter 11. I'm not going to take you through the entire chapter. There are only a few selected verses that I have memorized. Uh, As most of you know, I'm blind in this season of my life. I don't know how long the season is going to last, but for right now, it's giving me great opportunity to memorize the Bible, (laughs) because I cannot see a book, I cannot see a computer or a phone or a tablet or anything like that, so when I preach, I have to commit everything to memory, including the text, so I pray that you will help me today. Now, the 9 a.m. service had to, they had to pitch in and they had to help me a little. Are you willing to do that if I stumble across my text? Well, that gives me half confidence, okay. So, well, Lord, I'm going to depend on you greater today. <laughs> Let's give a hearty amen if we're in a good mood today, amen? Are we in a good mood? Oh, that makes me feel so much better. Praise God. More than 15 of us are in a great mood. All right. Deuteronomy chapter 11. Now, today we're going to highlight verses 10, 11, and 12, and verse 19 and 20. Those are going to be the scriptures we're going to highlight. But if you notice in verse 1, and really, to really get the grasp of what we're saying, you really need to go back and read Deuteronomy 10 because it's a continuation here. And what I want you to note very, just right off the bat, first thing, is that this is sort of a farewell. The whole book of Deuteronomy is Moses. It is his last great instructions before Moses passes away. And he's speaking to these people of Israel. Now, what I want you to know, there are a couple of things with our text. So if you read Deuteronomy chapter 10 and you read chapter 11, two things that I want you to note is number one, you and I share in these same promises. This is not only a promise to the people of Israel. It is a promise to the people of God. And hallelujah that we are engrafted into the people of God. We are adopted into the family of God. We are born again and as children of God. So the promises of Israel are as well the promises of us today. Even though we are Gentiles, the majority of us. We are born again into the family of God. Of God. So I want you to note, first of all, that as we read these things, they belong to us. They are ours. Number two, I want you to note that when Moses gathers the people of Israel and he gives these high and important instructions, he doesn't gather the high officials. 
He doesn't gather the military leaders or even the Levites who are just installed in chapter 10. He doesn't gather just the important and significant people. He doesn't just do that. If he did, perhaps we would read this and go, well, these promises belong to the authorities. These promises belong to people in power, people in position. But no. You know who he gathers? Families. Moms and dads like you and I. Grandparents. Great-grandparents. And notice what he says, verse number one. He, he tells the people, you must obey, you must listen, you must obey the statutes and the rules and the commands of the Lord your God. And in verse two he says, now I'm not speaking to your children because your children have not seen the things with which you've seen. Your eyes have seen the great and the terrible things that God did to the people of Egypt. Your eyes saw what God did to the land of Egypt and the plagues. Your eyes saw what God did at the Red Sea. You saw the great hand of God. And he says, you saw the power, the might, the outstretched arm, the signs, wonders, and deeds of the Most High. You saw it. What he did to Pharaoh and Pharaoh's chariots and Pharaoh's horses and Pharaoh's army and what he did to the land, to the people of Egypt. You know, uh, some of you may not know, but I used to do a great deal of work in Egypt, and uh, I've been to Egypt eight different times, ministering and preaching. About my fifth or maybe sixth time to Egypt, I was speaking for a very important conference called the Harvest Conference in Cairo, Egypt. And the text that God gave me for this highly important gathering was a text like Deuteronomy 11. And it said horrible things about the Egyptian people. And it said awful things about Egypt. And I said, oh, no, Lord, I cannot read this, let alone preach it. I don't even want to read it. And the Lord dealt with me and said, this is what you were to preach tonight. And I said, no. I said, Lord, do you, I know you see all things, but do you know where I am? I'm in Cairo, the heart of Egypt. I cannot read this. And God dealt with me and dealt with me and dealt with me. All morning, all afternoon, this is the text. Preach this text. And I said, God, I cannot. It was so intense, I finally had to go to the pastor, Pastor Adley. And I said, Pastor, help me. How do you preach the Old Testament? How do you preach texts like this that say such things about the Egyptians and your Egyptian? How do you do that? And a big smile came over his face and he said, Chad, he said, don't worry. I said, Pastor, I'm in Egypt. I can't. How do you do this? He said, Chad, we believe in divine election. We believe in the sovereignty of God. And he said, we understand that Israel was and is the people of God. And today, by God's sheer grace, we too are the people of God. And he touched my hand and said, you're fine. Preach what God gives you. What a moment. And I did. And God honored the preaching of his word. So he says, your eyes have seen what God did to the Egyptian people. And now God's leading you into this land. And this is what I want to focus on. Now, I'm going to have a specific word at the end to say to fathers. And I'm going to, before that, have a word to say to families. Those who right now are raising children. Or perhaps you're raising grandchildren. And I have a specific word to say there. But 
Here in the beginning, what I want to do is speak to the very spiritual application that this chapter has to our everyday life. So pick up with me in verse number 10 and notice what Moses says. He says, the land you are entering into to possess it is not like the land of Egypt from which you came, where you sowed your seed and irrigated it like a garden of vegetables. But notice the next verse. But the land you are going over to possess is a land of hills and valleys which drinks the water by the rains of heaven. The Lord your God cares for this land and the eyes of the Lord your God are continually, are always upon it. Year From the beginning of the year to the end of the year. Amen. Thank the Lord. I didn't need your help. Amen. God helped me. <laughs> There's an incredible spiritual application here. If you're going to take notes, I want you to note this first of all. Whenever you read about Egypt in the Old Testament and even the New Testament, it is always symbolic to the world. It is always symbolic to your past life. It's always symbolic to the chains of sin, to the bondage with which you and I were enslaved to sin. Do you understand that? Pharaoh is always a type of Satan. Egypt is always a type of the world. And Canaan is a type of salvation, the promised land, the land flowing with milk and honey. That is a picture of the salvation that God brings into our life. So you and I must understand, some of you right now, you are so frustrated with some family members, perhaps your children, perhaps a spouse, perhaps a coworker, someone in your life that you love, and yet they're dominated by sin, and you get so angry at their actions. You get so angry that they can't see what you see and they act like sinners. Why? Because they are indeed sinners. And some of you stay frustrated and you get angry because they won't change. You get angry because you see sin dominating their life. Let me tell you why it does. Because in Romans chapter 6, it teaches that apart from Christ, before salvation, you and I are slaves to sin. Do you know why people sin? that are not born again, do you know why? Because they can't help it. They're enslaved to it. They have no choice. Right now, my little baby, John Mark, I tell you what, he's seven months old. He may be the sweetest baby we've ever seen in our entire lives. Our other babies were wonderful, but oh, there's a sweetness about this kid. Maybe it's that he's the last one, I don't know. Maybe it's just in our heads. But I tell you, this kid is so sweet. As some of you know, Sadie and I were out of town last week and we were gone a week from him and he was trying to, all, all, the first three, they all said, dad, dad. That's the first words. Praise God. I beat Sadie. And John Markle, he was trying, and he just, Sadie would say, oh, he's saying mom. I'm like, I don't hear it. That's unintelligible. I don't understand. He's babbling. I don't understand. That's jibber jabber right there. We come home from our trip after not seeing him for the week, and she grabs him, and what's the first thing he says? Dad, 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 dad. <laughs> Amen. Hallelujah. <laughs> There's a sweetness to this kid. 
But let me ask you a question. When does John Mark become a sinner? When he commits his first sin? Well, when is that? At what point is that? John Mark will not become a sinner when he commits his first sin. That's reverse thinking. John Mark will commit a sin because he was born a sinner. You understand? People that are apart from Christ sin because 1 Timothy teaches that they are ensnared by Satan. The Bible teaches that we are children of wrath, children of disobedience. That's why when the Bible says of our conversion, when the Bible teaches that Christ comes into a heart, when the Bible teaches that we are born again, that's why the Bible uses the tremendous language that we have become a new creation. Old things pass away. Egypt passes away. The world passes away. And everything is brand new. Amen? What a conversion, what a change, what a difference. And if you've never had such a difference, then my friend, all you have is religion. Has there ever been a conversion, a changing, a transformation, a repentance that brought you from death unto life? That, my friend, is salvation. Amen. Amen. Egypt, it's that old life. It's that habitual sinning. It's the chains of bondage. It's that I cannot change because I am enslaved and I am bound. And that's Egypt and that's our past life. But Moses says, the land you're about to enter into to take possession of it, it's not like Egypt. It's not from which you've come. There you sowed your seed and you irrigated it and it was as though it was only a garden of vegetables. Can you get that picture in your mind's eye? You have this little, tiny, small strip of land that is not even your land. You have this little, small space that you sow and you water, but yet you're a slave to the land. And God says, no, no longer. You're not going to have just a, just a space that you sow a garden of vegetables. No, this is a land flowing with milk and honey. That's what he says in the two verses ahead. Uh, What does that mean, a land of milk and honey? I used to think about that as a kid. You know, I'd hear it in the songs and I'd hear it in Sundays. You know, it's a land flowing with milk and honey. And I used to think, what in the world? What does that mean, flowing with milk and honey? Well, the honey speaks of the bees and it speaks of pollination and it speaks of vegetation. It speaks of great agriculture. And the milk, of course, speaks of cattle, livestock, meat. And Moses says, in this land, you're going to eat until you're full. What a blessing, amen? And this is a picture of salvation. This is a picture of leaving sin and leaving bondage and leaving slavery and coming into a land of freedom, a land that belongs to you. And listen how Moses describes this land. Oh, this is beautiful. Are you with me today? Because this is beautiful. I don't want you to miss this. He goes from this land of Egypt that doesn't belong to you, that you're enslaved to, to now the the, the land, verse 11, the land that you're about to possess is the land of hills and valleys. (laughs) 
<laughs> now follow me. We're going from, from this little place that I just sow and I try to irrigate and it's just a garden of vegetable that now I'm going to a land of hills and valleys, a land that flows with milk and honey, a land that drinks the water by the rains of heaven. Can you get that picture in your mind's eye? A land of hills and valleys where milk and honey flows and it drinks the water from the rains of heaven. Oh, it sounds like heaven on earth, doesn't it? See, here's the thing. And this is what I want to show you today. So often our lives are just that. They are a series of hills and valleys. But see, here's what I want to show you. (laughs) I'm so excited. My spirit is just bursting at the seams today. I don't know if you can feel my excitement, but here's what I want to show you. It's like that great quote that Ruth Bell Graham, the beloved wife of Billy Graham, it's like she said, the mountaintops are only for breathtaking views. Mountaintops are meant for inspiration, but it is fruit that grows in the valleys. And it doesn't matter today whether you're on the hills or whether you're in the valley. What matters today is that you're in the promised land. What matters today is whatever season you're in, you're able to drink of the waters from heaven. You're able to be well nourished. And my friend, you're able to be well content because you're in the promised land. And the promised land is not all just rose garden. No, no, the promised land is a series of hills as well as valleys. But it doesn't matter because we're in the promised land. And there can be contentment for our soul there. Does that make sense to you? This past week was a wonderful week for me and Sadie. Some of you know, some of you don't. There was a ministry in North Carolina, a wonderful ministry called Energize. And all they do is minister to pastors. That's all they do. That's the reason they exist. And they gave Glenn and Ashley and myself and Sadie, they gave us a free cruise to the Caribbean. Wasn't that a blessing? Amen. And what made it even better is this year is Sadie, it's mine and Sadie's 10-year wedding anniversary. And just what a gift. Do you know what I found? See, here, when I'm here, now on Sundays, I have a safety team person who escorts me. Michelle is my escort today. She's helping me get around. The reason why they escort me is so I don't run into somebody, right? I don't want someone to have their back turned to me and I can't see them and I run into them, especially if they have coffee in their hands. So someone from the safety team helps me to the platform and they help me back to my office and I so appreciate that. But apart from today, I mean, I don't need any help. I navigate everything fine. Sometimes I'm like a Roomba vacuum cleaner. I bump into something. I rescan the room and I go a different way, right? I mean, but usually I'm, you know, I don't need help. And I go all over the place. I know this building like the back of my hand. When I'm home, I need no help whatsoever. I know where everything is. No one has to help me. But oh my, we get on that cruise ship talking about feeling my limitations talking about feeling it Sadie constantly had to lead me by the hand we would try to go through the dining hall and it was this way no that way no oh stop no okay go no no this way boy I felt my limitations 
There were times I'd get frustrated, very frustrated. And I listened to a book while I was on the ship. If you've never read this book, I would encourage you to get on Amazon and buy it before the service ends. It's a book called God's Smuggler by Brother Andrew. It's a classic, written in the 1960s. And I listened to God's Smuggler. The man reading it was British, so he would say, Smuggler. I keep wanting to say that, but it's Smuggler. And I listened with great intensity. And it so fed my soul. But you know, Brother Andrew tells the story that convicted me to my core. Now what am I talking about? Life, even in the promised land, is a series of hills and valleys. So Brother Andrew is in Bulgaria in the 60s and communism has taken over Bulgaria and He's in a secret house church, and there's a man, a mountain of a man, a huge man named Abraham, and Abraham doesn't say very much at all. He has a massive beard, and Brother Andrew said he looked like what he pictured Abraham actually looking like, and he had sky blue eyes. He said he had the most innocent eyes I've ever looked into. And he was an old man. He was about 75 years old with a very large beard and a massive frame. But he said so little. The pastor of that house church told Brother Andrew, he said, you need to visit Abraham's home to really see what sacrifice under communism is. Brother Andrew agreed and they went to Abraham's home and they began to hike up a mountain. Brother Andrew was young at this point. He's 92 today. Brother Andrew began to hike up this mountain with Abraham and he couldn't keep up with him. Multiple times he had to stop to catch his breath, but Abraham could keep on going. And when he reached, he kept thinking, how in the world could someone build a home up here? And when they reached the home of Brother Abraham, he finds out along the way, Abraham used to be a wealthy man. He operated a very large farm, a very productive farm, enjoyed a large, spacious home. But Abraham was caught by the communist distributing Bibles to churches who had no Bibles. So they confiscated his farm and took his home. And at that point, Abraham and his wife lived on $5 a week with which they used to buy a little bread. When they reached the dwelling place of Abraham and his wife, he was surprised as Abraham's wife emerged out from the goat-skinned tent. He said the only similarity between Abraham and his wife was their sky blue eyes. And he said as large of a man as Abraham was, his wife was just as little. But they both had innocent sky blue eyes. And they invited Brother Andrew into their home. Brother Andrew went in and when they served the meal, the meal was wild berries and honey. But do you know what Abraham said? Uh, Brother Andrew said of Abraham, he said, when I looked at his face and his wife, he said, in all of my travels all over the world, I've never seen faces of such contentment. That convicted me to my core. And I began to think of how many chairs I had bumped into and how hard it was to walk through that ship. 
what tight quarters it was and how constricted I felt and how uneasy I felt and how limited I felt. And I thought, do people look at my face and do they see a face of contentment? If you enjoy the daily broadcast of Awaken to Grace, then I want to invite you to subscribe to our podcast. You can get our podcast wherever you get your favorite shows. Simply search Awaken to Grace Weekly Sermons.